And it seems that we are going live. Just wanted to say uh, welcome to our community that is joining the podcast at this time. Uh, welcoming to welcome to the Scale Up Volume uh, podcast, where we uh, interview and we have amazing conversations with the best tech founders across the world, from San Francisco to New York, London, uh, Singapore, Shanghai, uh, Mumbai, uh, Bangalore, uh, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, today we we have the pleasure of having with us uh, as a special guest. Christine Ecker, the CEO of Scaler, and, and we are really, really proud to, uh, to have you on the show. Uh, thanks, Christine, for joining. Thank you for having me. And I would just create a little bit more of suspense around the, the show today because uh, Christine is a, has a very, very impressive profile, and I'm sure that we will learn a lot uh, out of this show. Um, she joined. She, she started as a product manager. Uh, she joined companies as Juniper Networks, Microsoft, NetApp. Uh, was senior vice, pre vice president at uh, Cisco, uh, and is now leading uh, Scalar and also with um, board member positions uh, in in several companies. So. That's, that's very, very promising, but better than listening for, uh, from myself, your story, it would be great to, to get to know a little bit more about your career and how did you went at, at Scalar? So, yes, I've, I've been in tech for 30 years. Um, I did start in new product development. And while I've mostly been on the business side, it's always been with tech companies uh, and with reasonably technical products into reasonably technical audiences. There, there have been a few exceptions to that, uh, but that's the red threat. Most of what I've done in my career is either to create a brand new market, um, usually using new technology, or to fundamentally reshape an existing market with new technology and, and new point of view. And that was, uh, that's the reason why I've joined almost every company in my career. Uh, it's the it's the thread through my personal and professional journey, and it's absolutely the reason that I joined Scalar. We have the chance to shape and reshape the entire observability market, um, and we're really excited about the chance to do that. And what an amazing naming to for the show, right? So Scalar in the Scalar Valley. Um, show and so we are super curious also to learn more about about Scalar. so um what is the mission the vision and and and, and the pitch itself or the products of of scalar scalers an observability platform uh, we help engineering teams and engineering driven companies go boldly into their future with confidence because they can see what's happening in their real-time systems and the applications that are the lifeblood of their company. And we can give them the, the insight and the confidence and the power to not only see what's happening, but to find and fix the troubles if something is not going well. Got it. And, and in terms of the stage of the company, could you give us just some highlights to understand where you are in terms of the scaling up journey? Like Headcount, uh, any funds raise it, uh, number of customers, any any good names in your portfolio, etc. 
We have, uh, we have over 300 paying customers. We're a Series A startup backed by Shasta Ventures. We have more than 50 employees, uh, big customers around the world, um, Zalando, NBC Universal, uh, Tiket, uh, you know, those are three, three different continents that I just named um, from Europe, US to Southeast Asia. And uh, yeah, we're, we're growing very rapidly. We had 100 and over 150% growth in our core revenue and in our customer base last year. And, you know, we're running as fast as we can towards that next round of both funding and growth for the company. That's amazing. And congratulations for, for the progress. So this show, as you know, uh, if you have been joining several times or if you are joining for the first time, it's about compressing the key lessons about scaling up a company from 1 million to 100 million uh, AR, which is typically the VC uh, journey. Uh, so to get there in five to seven or seven to 10, uh, to 10 years. And we believe that the Rockefeller habits can help a lot in the scaling up journey. So that's why we pick some of those habits in these conversations and we leverage those habits also to get to know more about our guests and, and companies of our guests and to compress those lessons. And those Rockefeller habits are a set of habits that were kind of the guideline for uh, one of the most successful businessmen in the history of the United States, John uh, Rockefeller. And um, he was kind of applying this every single day to to kind of create the, the, the amazing empire that, that he has created. And the habit number one, and you would see that the habits are super, super simple. Uh, the habit number one is to create uh, an healthy and aligned team, a, a team where you can have constructive debates, a team where you can disagree and commit. Um, and so that, that's, and maybe I start there, uh, getting you on board, um, Christine, because I think that's an amazing story and we all uh, heard of stories of, of founders um, that have a conflict with the board and then we need to kind of bring a professional CEO um, to, to, to lead the company and it's a very bad relationship with the board, the founder and the new CEO. Uh, you are a professional CEO, you have joined the company eight or nine months uh, ago from, from your LinkedIn um, profile. But I know that the story is, is much better and proves that a professional CEO can really make a, a huge impact on the company and also be in perfect harmony with the board and with, with the founders and keep the mission and the vision moving forward. Can you tell us a little bit more about, about that story and uh, how it uh, worked? Sure, I'd be happy to. So I, I was very fortunate, as you said, the founder of Scalar is a gentleman named Steve Newman. He's an entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur. He founded Scalar several years ago. He had a really big, audacious vision around uh, creating visibility for engineering teams, developing this great observability platform. He did an amazing job building the team. Uh, building the company, getting the first round of funding, the Series A funding. And he chose a fabulous uh, investor, Jason Pressman from Shasta, who's a really great partner to CEOs. Um, I'm lucky to have him. Steve was lucky to have him. Mm -hmm. Once they got that Series A investment in the company and they knew they had to get to the next level of scale, what got us here won't get us there. 
they jointly made the decision to look for a new CEO. Steve Newman, the founder, drove that process. He selected the criteria. He selected the CEO. He did it in partnership with Jason and the leadership team, but it was ultimately his decision to go forward and who to go forward with. I was fortunate enough to get introduced. I had looked at several opportunities. One of my key criteria was that I did not want to go into a situation, as you just described, where the founder was not completely on board. I just personally don't want the bad karma, and I think it would be a very challenging situation. I got exceptionally lucky here. Steve and I, um, we, we have a great partnership, but we have a great partnership because our strengths are completely opposite, but our values are completely aligned. And it makes for a perfect partnership, much as you might have in a marriage, you know, like my, my life partner, my husband is, has exactly the same values, but he has a completely different set of skills. And so we complement well. And as you pointed out, you need that throughout the entire leadership team. So um, I adhere to some of the good to great principles, another fabulous, um, you know, business mantra and book. And it says first who, then what? So just as you said with the Rockefeller principle, it's really important that you have the right team. And so I spent, anytime I go into any new role in any company, I spend my first 30 days talking to the existing employees and customers and just listening and trying to ascertain what got us here and what we need to keep in that. And also to understand what, where the gaps are to get us to the next phase. Do we understand what that next phase is and that next milestone? Do we understand what success looks like and do we have the right people? So I made that assessment um, at the end of that, and it took a couple of months, we, we did decide, I decided, and with the alignment of the CEO, that some of the team was the right team. Some of the team needed to be augmented with new leadership skills, with people who could take us to the next phase. So we put a new leadership team in place that was done by end of April, early May. We gave that leadership team a couple of months to get their own grounding in the company and in the space. And then we set forth with the challenge of figuring out what the next set of goals are. So I'll pause there for a moment, but that's where we're at in that piece of the leadership team journey. That's that's an amazing uh, way to start really with with Rockefeller Abbott number one. And that's that's kind of your uh, playbook uh, as well. How long does it take? Because there is a lot of anxiety, I imagine, uh, on, on the side of the founder of the board. So what will you bring? What are the changes that we will do? Also, the team that is uh, kind of uh, welcoming the new CEO is expecting what will be the changes. So every single conversation, they are kind of trying to understand what you will do, what is your idea for the company. So how are you able first to listen what is the reality instead of what they want you to perceive as the reality? And, and second, how long does it take the process to have the first uh, leadership team in place from your experience? Uh, brilliant and insightful question and absolutely at the heart of the personal anxiety and pressure that as the CEO, I have felt over the last seven months now being with the company. Because as you rightly state, anytime you have a new leader come, come in to any situation, 
everybody says, okay, something is going to change. Whether we want it to or not, some people might want to change it, but something is going to change. And they wait for the leader to declare the quote unquote strategy. Where are we going? Um, and so that's enormous pressure for any leader. And I, I do have a playbook. I have a very definitive playbook. It happens to align perfectly with your Rockefeller principles, although I, do, I don't think of them as the Rockefeller principles. I think of them as my own playbook. What I needed to do is first assess the team, then build the right team, first who, then what, then give the team the time to ground in the full context of our market, our competition, our strengths, what the original vision of the founder was and how realistic um, that vision is and whether it remains the right vision. And the employees want all that to happen as soon as possible because not having answers to the big questions, who, what, when, why, where, how, when they don't have clarity on those answers, it creates a lot of ambiguity and anxiety for them. At the same time, I'm a believer that it takes as long as it takes. And nobody likes to hear that answer. And yet that's the answer I gave for the first six months. I won't put a timeline on it because it takes as long as it takes. But roughly, we said, I'll have the leadership team hired by the beginning of summer. And by the end of summer, we will be able to answer with clarity and conviction all of the key questions, who, what, when, why, how, why, where. So we have done that. Um, that work has just very recently been completed and accomplished. We're in the process of rolling it out to the employees so that we can lower their anxiety. But if you don't do those things in the right order, you don't come to the right answers with conviction. And that's when the thrashing begins in an organization. And we want to avoid that thrashing. Got it. And that's a very good point now to kind of introduce, as, as you said, um, the Rockefeller habits number two, which is trying not to do too much or resisting the temptation of trying to do too much, especially after you came from late product market fit or the starting up process, which is typically a search mode, trying to find the business model, having the, the different ingredients of the business model all together and working. Uh, we tend to say now to scale, we need to go to a lot of battles. And those lots of battles are maybe we'll add new products, We'll launch new GUs, we'll launch new segments, new verticals, uh, we will try new strategic projects. And yeah, now we have, instead of the 30, 40 people, we have 100, 200, 300 people. So we can conquer the world much quicker and we can fight any kind of battle. So and I think that's, that's kind of the recipe for um, failure. Uh, but at the same time, it's very, very difficult, again, to say no to everything and to focus just in one Thing, one big priority at a time, one big priority for the next three years, one big priority for the next year, and one big priority for the next um, 90 days. So how do you find uh, this big milestone for, for Scalar or for any company that you have joined it, um, before? That's the big challenge. Um, and in fact, we have, you know, every company goes through life cycles. It's normal to go through life cycles as an organization. And 
we started with the big vision. And for the last year, we have fallen into the trap of too much incrementalism. We, we still have a fuzzy future, but we were falling into the trap of too much incrementalism. And so what the leadership team had to do is we had to come together and align on what the vision is for the company and what the big audacious goals and milestones are to achieve them. And that's, that's the work we've just completed. Um, you had made a comment earlier that the mark of a great team is they can disagree, um, they can listen, they can um, build on each other's comments and still be completely authentic in their point of view. And um, as a very new leadership team, sometimes it takes a long time to build that process and trust. We have been very fortunate in the first two months that we've seen all of that. As a leadership team, we've been able to have that uh, very, very honest, sometimes very hard dialogue as we're arguing about what the future looks like, and we were able to completely align. We were also very fortunate that where we landed is very close to the founding vision of, the, uh, of Steve Newman and extends off of it in some really important and very exciting ways. So what we did is we first said, this is what success looks like in five years. And we call that the vision statement. And within that, we have a completely unique point of view on our industry. Um, our industry is the observability industry. It's being defined in a, in a way that we think is very incomplete and in fact, quite detrimental. We have a different point of view on that industry and we have clarity on how we need to communicate that point of view to the industry. That in and of itself was not enough. We had to also, you know, that's, that's a good part of what, what do we need to do in a certain time frame? What does success look like five years out for us? We also had to understand what is the thing that we have to be uniquely best at and always be best at to achieve that vision? And we had to answer questions about our ultimate higher purpose. Who do we serve? Why do we exist? Why do they care? And how do we get from where we're at to where we're trying to go? Think big, yes, but you have to start small and you have to move fast. So what are those imperatives? We call them strategic imperatives. <clears throat> and for those imperatives, what is absolutely most important that we have to get done and by when so that we know we're on the path to achieve this goal? And that's the work that we've laid out in the last month. Um, and once you have clarity on each of those elements that I just described, you have a higher purpose, you have a vision, you have your strategic imperatives, you know what you have to be best at. When you have those pieces in place, managing to those goals becomes simple because everybody has a lot of clarity on what success looks like. And so now you have things to trade off. If you're in an incremental world and you don't really have clarity on where you're going or how quickly you need to get there, then the draconian trade-offs um, are what you described. You, you end up trying to do everything and you don't really have a clear sense of what is truly more important than something else. 
Amazing. So lots of notes that I'd like to uh, to take while I'm doing I'm I'm going through the show, but I, I will listening again this show uh, for sure. And um, so and let's let's move forward to um, the Rockefeller number three. And Rockefeller habit number three, it's about having the communication the communication flowing very quickly, uh, top down and bottom up. So it's kind of becoming a learning organization that learns very, very quick and that the communication flows uh, very quickly. And as we know, as the company grows, as we go from a functional matrix to, um, to more a matrix that where we have business units, uh, functions, geos, uh, different offices, uh, different leaders, uh, sometimes a little bit difficult to understand who, that, who do I report to. I might be reporting to two, two people uh, and I might be be involved in a lot of cross-functional um, projects uh, and usually people don't like meetings uh, because sometimes meetings are also not very well uh, led. So this point is all about the meeting rhythms, having in place the dailies, the weeklies, the monthlies, the quarterlies uh, and doing it in a productive way, not in, in, a, in a way that everyone hates to to participate because uh, we all think that we are losing our time instead of moving forward. So what do you think about the importance of those meeting rhythms? And if you believe on them, how do you make them relevant to, to move forward? Uh, I absolutely believe in the importance. Uh, this interview is happening in an interesting time because we are literally in the middle of communicating these changes that I just talked about. What is the, the big vision? How are we getting regrounded in that? And as a result, what is it that we have to do and do differently now than what was true before we had this clarity? And so I'll break the answer to your question into two pieces. One piece is how do you communicate a big change or a big opportunity like what I just described so that everybody understands it? And then how do you set up a rhythm, which is what you're describing, to ensure that you're on track for those changes and you're operating the company? And you have to have both, you know, when you're at the stage that we are right this moment, both of those are very important. If you skip one, then the other is useless. So um, we've had, like any company, a rhythm. But when that rhythm isn't pointed towards big, clear, exciting goals, then as you say, people you know, sort of dread the staff meeting or they dread the, the all hands or whatever your, your cadence. And what you want instead as a leader is everybody looks forward to that cadence because it helps them understand where they're at and where everybody else is at because they're excited to get to the goal. So step one for us, which we are literally in the middle of, is communicating to everybody in the company, what are we shooting for? What is success? Why are we doing this? What, what is our higher purpose? Again, some of it is reinforcing and regrounding, and some of it is giving new clarity that we've developed. And how are we going to get from here to there? And the first step is to really communicate that in a way that people truly understand and internalize and can be excited about for their own personal growth, as well as for where it takes the company. And so we have to do that. We have to do it well. And, and there's mechanisms that we use in 
in how we bring people together and how we engage them and how we have helped to cascade this information. Ultimately, we pay people to think, not just to do. So yes, they have to do something every day, but they really have to understand why they're doing it and in service to what, so that if they have a better idea, if they have a creative way to get that thing to happen more quickly, they can bring that to the forefront, especially for startups, because we're trying to get from A to B. And if there's a shortcut that is a good, you know, not shortcut in a negative sense, but shortcut in a very positive sense, we want every employee using their brains. These are, you know, some of the brightest engineers and and marketers and go-to-market people in the world, how do we get them thinking about the best way to accomplish an objective and not tell them how to do it? So it's really important that, that people have the full puzzle in their head. They understand all the pieces, the vision, the strategy, the unique point of view, what those um, imperatives are to get from here to there. And they can be thinking about how best to put them all together. So that's piece one. Piece two is then how do we as a leadership team and we as a company know when we're on track? How do we make sure we have the right information flowing both directions so we can make adjustments and still hit our goals? And we use probably the same tools that most companies use. Um, we have weekly staff meetings, my own staff, and then my staff has their own. We have, uh, we have something called show and tell. So each week we get together and people show what they have done during the week. And up till this point, it has felt to me and to many people in the company like it's great to see, but it is random. We don't know how do all these pieces really fit together towards a goal. So now that we have clarity on the goal, show and tell starts to align specifically to show me what we have done, tell me what we have done this week to accomplish the big goals that we are now all aligned on. We have a weekly stand-up meeting at the start, show and tells at the end of the week, stand-up is at the start of the week. What's most important for us to accomplish? Again, if you don't have the big strategic imperatives and goals, it feels random. When you have them, it feels purposeful. So we're in the process of making that change from something that feels more random to something that feels more purposeful in service of these big goals. We have monthly all hands. Um, and that's the big important stuff that everybody in the company needs to know. Sometimes, most of the time, it's us talking to ourselves. Every once in a while, we'll bring somebody in from outside. So our most recent all hands, we actually brought our lead investor in so that he could give his point of view and context on this huge opportunity that we have ahead of us. Um, and then we do the strategy meetings that I was just describing that we have completed with our leadership team. How do we make sure that once a quarter and once a year, we're stepping back and we're making sure that we're still headed in the right direction and we're doing the right things to get ourselves towards those big goals. That's that's amazing. And just to clarify, the the stand up at the beginning of the of the week and the show and tell session at the end of the week, are they with all company or just with some members of the team? No, yeah, this both the stand up and the show and tell is the whole company. They're very the stand up's very fast. Um, it's Monday at noon. Uh, it's me and my leadership team saying this is what is important for us collectively to accomplish this week. 
And this is the big priority for engineering. This is the big priority for marketing. This is the big priority for sales. So we do that. Now that we have clarity on vision and big milestones, that will that process becomes more meaningful because it every one of those conversations is now in service to a very specific, reasonably near-term imperative that we have to accomplish. Um, and then show and tell is also the whole company. I love show and tell personally. Um, we have it late in the afternoon on a Friday. We couple it with um, some champagne or some beer, you know, some food, the things that make it a fun social time. Um, there's often a fun element included. We theme the show and tell around, you know, something that's happening in the world or something random. Uh, we did one around Game of Thrones when, you know, it was the end Amazing. of the Game of Thrones. Um, so, you know, there's usually some kind of fun theme. It's social time where we can come together and it's a chance for people to show and be appreciated for the great work that they've done that week. And again, you don't want that to be or feel random. You want it to be in service of bigger goals, which is why this big vision and these strategic imperatives are so important for us. Correct. And there's a, um, also an, and going a little bit deeper also into your weekly staff meeting. Um, part of what the, um, the methodology of, of scaling up and the Rockefeller habits um, tell is that a second part of the of the weekly meeting. So the first part might be, again, kind of good news of the week, uh, word opening, coaching technique, uh, having everyone in a good mood for for the meeting very quickly. Uh, second. Uh, reviewing the, um, the OKRs or the big priorities, how we are moving forward, where are the red flags, what we need to solve. And after that, working on a strategic topic that might be the main bottleneck to get our main priorities done, more on the execution side for the quarter, because for the next year, the next three years is more on the quarterly session that we discuss. So this is much 